Yep, guys, on the time of this is guy just welcome back into the Daily Next podcast. On today's Sorry again. Yep, you guys know what time it is. This is your guy Just, and we're back here for the Daily Next podcast. Um, make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast and follow everything on the Daily Next on today's edition of the podcast. I'll be breaking down the latest uh, news cycle that's afflicted on the Knicks. Talk about David Fisdale's job status and what are the Knicks going to do going forward on the season. All right, let's get it going. All right, you guys, let's go. show and there is no time to waste because the Knicks do not give us nothing more than endless storylines and topics. Now I am recording this on a Monday night after uh, the Seahawks just defeated the 49ers on a good game on Monday night football. So it's pretty late at night, but by the time you hear this, David Fizdale may or may not be fired. Um, the Knicks are off to a two and eight start. They are facing the Chicago Bulls in Chicago tonight um where they've actually played <laughs> surprisingly better they've only had one 20 point loss on the road this season you know they have only one win um their net rating at on the road is actually a lot lot better than it is at home um currently the Knicks stand at 2 and 8 um tied for last in the NBA um with several other teams, the Pelicans, the Warriors, the Grizzlies, yada, yada, yada. Um, and what this basically last night um, loss, not only just a loss, but what it the impromptu press conference all means. So I'll take you back. So as I, as I was watching the game, uh, obviously they got smoked by the Cavs. Actually, I had to turn the game off. That's the first time I think I've turned off a Knicks game in about like two years, which you would think last year there'd be moments where I'd be like, no, this is done. But no, I, I didn't do that at all last year. Last night, I was just visibly frustrated at what happened. But I turned back. I saw the, you know, always the fake comeback. So they got down to 15. Um, and obviously they, they went on to lose by 20 and I was kind of thinking whatever, but I just happened to flip back just because I wanted to see, you know, the post game of Alan Hahn and Wally talk about the game. And that's when what happened happened. So from my perspective, and now we have more details, um, coming out of what, what that impromptu press conference was inspired by. My feeling was at the time, like someone made them speak to the media about this because why couldn't that have been just a private conversation, which it seemed it could have been easy enough to just, you know, go into the locker room, say your piece, and then kind of leak that through, you know, whomever you want it to be uh, to let it know what, what was said. But to have a press conference, um, to basically reprimand not only the coaching staff, but the players, I thought was 
ill-advised at the time. Um, I just, I don't see the purpose that it serves doing that in public because it's an ill-fated threat. There's nothing that the GM, there's nothing that the president at least can do right now. Um, we're still a few weeks away. I believe it's five weeks away from um, December 15th. That's when, that's the first start of when you, we can even, um, the Knicks could even trade any of their free agents that they signed this season. Or even if they want to trade away some of their young players, they would be smart enough to wait to December 15th to get some of the veterans or whomever to get on their team since half, over half the league switched teams during the offseason. Uh, so this is going to be the roster until at least the next four, the next month, essentially. Um, and yet there seems to be some type of now fallout um, if you read Woj, if you read um, Ian Begley, Frank Isola, sorry for guys who hate him, um, is that there seems to be a level of a heightened level of concern going on now in the organization. Now, look, they're two and eight. They haven't played well. Um, they've gotten blown out at home and they've gotten off to really bad starts in pretty much every game except for the game at Boston, and then the game at Dallas. Um, but every other game, they fell, be fell behind by double digits, I believe, in every other game um, besides those two uh, specifically. What it comes down to now is the way, however way you want to slice it, whatever you want to feel, is that this coaching staff is on notice. Um, I... I don't know if there's necessarily like a type of what the actual expectations are for the team. It hasn't really been clear. It's clear that they want to be better um, and they should be better. And the idea that they should be getting blown out at home by teams that either A, aren't playing that well or B, aren't that much better than the Knicks themselves is alarming. Now, if you want to get onto the idea of what is Fisdale doing, I agree. So far, he has not had a good season. Um, the offense looks out of whack. It it took him a long time to eventually play, um, to eventually start Franklin Lakina through injuries and um, Dennis Smith Jr. eventually leaving the team for a bit to grieve his stepmother's passing. It hasn't been crisp at all. And just the highs and the lows this team goes through is remarkable. I don't like the idea that this coaching staff is now under pressure because it, it doesn't allow what the Knicks' whole brand of this season was supposed to be. Their brand of the season was to have toughness, to try to go out there and execute plays, but also help establish a winning culture and develop the players on their roster. Well, if the coach is playing to win games and you have a mandate, it appears, to play better or to win more games, coaches in those positions tend not to play the young players. So it will be interesting to see um, what happens 
if Alfred Payton is able to play on um, against Chicago. I don't know if he is. I, I haven't read any reports. By the time this comes out, he might be clear to play. Um, but if he does play, I would be shocked if Frank gets off to a slow start, if Alfred Payton doesn't play most of this game. Because that's what ha- has that's what that's what coaches do. Jeff Hornacek did that. Many of coaches have sacrificed the quote unquote development of players in order to salvage 27, 30 wins, which the whole point going into the season, um, if you listen to this podcast before or listen to me speak or follow me on Twitter, which you should do, the way the Knicks got their wins was going to be as important as how many games they won. If the Knicks had won 35 games, but it was mostly because of you know Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, Alfred Payton, Wayne Ellington, all essentially having career years magically, that would have, I think, stunted the growth growth of the franchise just because those players aren't in the long-term futures. They're not getting – they're not expected to be here after this season. Now, maybe they'll keep a few – obviously, Randall has a longer deal than the rest of those guys, but the guys on the, on the ones, one and ones aren't expected to come back. Like they kind of know what it is, which kind of speaks to the fact that they have such a lack of effort to say the less, say, say the least um, from time to time. Um, and so them winning those games in that style isn't as valuable if it's less say they won 27 games, but it was RJ, it was Frank, it was Dennis, it was Mitch Knox. Trier, Dotson, it was those guys kind of being the engines that pushed the team to that type of win, which is why I feel like not just if you, you know, look at their two wins, the KP stuff aside, um, the Dallas win feels a lot better, which was just a few days ago. It's crazy how things change in literally three, four days, um, how the Dallas win seems a lot more impactful than the win against the Bulls because it's it essentially was Bobby Portis got hot for a half a quarter and they won the game. The Dallas game was, oh, you can really see how Frank can truly impact the game. And it just comes down to the idea of what are they trying to get accomplished? And to me, it was a terrible idea to do what they did. I think this is going to end his – he's going to get fired um, because he doesn't have the roster, nor does he have, I would say, the talent to go out there and just go on a streak. Now, we've said this before. We've read over the schedule multiple times. This is the easy part of the next schedule. So as bad as people think it is now, oh, it's going to get worse. Um, just wait until like three more weeks from now. It's going to get real rough for them. And for me to say that is just, or it's just the front office can't constantly be putting coach after coach after coach after coach 
in these types of positions. As Fizdale was hired, the selling point to him had to be, look, we have KP. He's a budding star. He is someone who is able to lead us to where we want to go. If not KP, we think we have a good chance of landing a max free agent, whether that be Kyrie, Durant, whomever they sold him on. Now, there could be some conflicting reports about KD, um, I'm sorry, KP, Kristaps, because it appeared multiple times that Perry was looking to move him even well before um, the whole debacle fell down um, last during the last uh, or this year's uh, this year in February 2019. And the whole rage against him is why again and again fans need to stop when they ask to fire the coach. There is nothing that gets accomplished by firing a coach after two years because what ends up happening is other other coaches and GMs and presidents and team executives, they see how you run stuff and they see how you treat your executives, your players, and your coaches. If you keep kicking them all out and having them have a bad taste in their mouth, word gets around the league fast. People know where to go and where not to go. And if we're at the idea of where we have to build it for they before they can come, the, the concept of trading Fitz, firing Fitzell at any point during the season is laughably stupid, laughably stupid, because you have to at least give him a full year to try to at least establish something. Now again, I agree he's made some. Horrible decisions. Horrible decisions. Starting Bobby Portis. Horrible decision. Not starting Frank Neokina. Bad decision. Um, the offense has been atrocious. It's broken down to ISO ball, ISO ball, and there's only not benching guys when you need to, breaking up the bigs in a lineup, not going small, not going big, not doing a lot of innovation. There's been tons and tons and tons of mistakes. But guys, it's been 10 games. It's been 10 games. And they weren't expected to be good. So what is the rush to fire the coach of a team that was expected not to make the playoffs? Yes. Getting blown out at home is bad. I am not advocating that he has done a good job. But the put the pitchforks down and log off your accounts for five minutes to sit down and just see that it's more than just the coach at work. It's the coach, it's the player, it's the front office that all have a hand in this. And I know fans are short for fanatic, but you got to give him time, not just for him, but for the main stake of the team. Okay. If we want to have this conversation back in April, whenever the last game of the season is going to be for the Knicks, um, and we want to revisit this topic, sure. 
But firing him now does nothing. It it does nothing. You're paying a coach again to do nothing. Same thing to fire Mills and to fire Perry. Perry just got there. And he's already made moves that everyone seems to at least like at some point. He was able to trade Carmelo Anthony and get a very good asset out of it. He was able to draft Kevin Knox, who seems to be, I understand his defense is worse than bad. Um, but he is a developing player, was able to pick up Frank's option, did not trade him, and made a move to free up cap space to try to get um, max free max free agents that did not come and did not tie up the team in bad contracts. So just from that aspect of loan, he should stay just from that. So I would ask for patience. I understand the frustration. I'm frustrated as well, but we can't keep going through this carousel and staying on this type of hamster wheel over and over and over again. All right, quick break. Be right back. All right, back again. And now to shift over to, you know, talking about the actual on-court product. So, obviously the team has been, you know, struggling and the main struggles have been on their offensive side of the ball. Now, the issue that I've most noticed is the lack of cohesiveness and just finding one thing to do. That's both on offense and on defense. Now, yes, you have to be able to exploit matchups and have to be able to um, use go go at a team that that isn't that doesn't have like strong suits in this area or that area. But the Knicks, for some reason, they don't seem to come into the game with any type of plan of what they want to do on the offense or sometimes on the defensive end. So of late, the Knicks have been switching a lot of their pick and rolls on defense, which is good at times um, since they start actually a very large lineup. If Mitch is able to go, we'll be able to, we'll see later um, if he'll be able to play against Chicago. But if not, the lineup of Mitch and uh, Randall, Morris, Frank, and RJ is actually a very, very, very big lineup. They are able to switch because the shortest guy is six seven. The tallest guy is seven feet. Um, all with extremely long arms, so they're able to switch a lot onto teams. Now, this is good when you face you know a team that you're able to like that isn't as quick and you're able to physically dominate. But when you have a team like what they played against Cleveland, when they have two small guards, it comes a problem doing all the switching since they don't have the foot speed necessarily to keep up with those guys. My um, issue, I guess, just to touch back on the Cleveland game, was thinking 
they have to allow the guards to be very aggressive. RJ is 6'7". So is Frank Nilakina. Garland and Sexton are both about 6'2", 6'3". They are tiny. I don't, I don't, I don't hate, I guess, mostly what they did on defense, even though Sexton went off on them, mostly because mostly while Frank was on the bench. But I know Frank hasn't shown the ability to really do anything offensively outside of right now. It's kind of like shoot a three, kind of get to his paint. His offensive game is still very limited. But RJ has shown he's able to post up smaller guards a lot. And he is a very good passer from the paint. Why wasn't there any type of down screen sets between him and Randall or just the ability to kind of post up RJ onto the smaller guard to get like to free up, get a double team, whatnot? It's things like that that get you, you know, upset. But the 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 lack of motion on the offense is what is killing this team. People know what they're running. People know what they're trying to do. RJ has taken, I want to say a step back, but it's hard for them to be able to get into the paint if everyone knows they have to try to get to the paint. And when they get to the paint, it's really easy to defend them because they're not going to make their foul shots. The motion that got the people have to move more and more and more and more. And the one guy who I do like and I have defended on Twitter and in group chats alike. But Kevin Knox, you have got to move. The way that Knox is playing at the moment on offense is how he looked in his slumps during last season. He, above everyone else, him and and Wayne Ellington, have got to be the motion guys. And I know his motor kind of comes and goes, but he's got to look at tape of guys moving. I don't know. I don't think it's a physical thing. He physically looks like he's in shape. It doesn't look like he's tired, but he just stands in the corner and acts as a spacer. And he's too good of a player to act as a spacer. So him, especially and Wayne Ellington, have to be able to do some type of screening rolls with one another. I would love to see Knox just running off of pin downs and sprinting to the corner. Just he's got to move. And I remember Swing Cash out to Swing Cash, who's doing things in, uh, for the Pelicans. She's the one who pointed this out the best on the telecast last year, saying that when Knox is, you can basically tell if Knox is having a good game or a bad game if he's moving on offense. When he's standing still, he is dead. When he is constantly moving, that guy looks like a top 10 pick. And if he doesn't get to moving, his mind wanders and you can see it affect his defense. And that's his biggest problem. Now, going forward, how would they be able to alleviate that? Possibly playing Knox at the, giving Knox some time at the four and maybe downgrading, but By doing that, you cannot leave him in a place where he cannot, where he has to defend the best player. 
if you're going to put them in pick and rolls, which teams will put them in pick and rolls, either Frank, two of the three have to be on the floor at all times. Frank, RJ, or Mitch Robinson. More than likely, you would want Mitch and then the other two guys to be able to cover for him. We know his weaknesses, but the job of a coach and a team is to highlight your strengths. And his strengths are to be able to shoot and to shoot the three ball efficiently. Putting him in motion, getting him off screens, getting him to cut to the basket is what is going to get him a lot of money playing in this NBA. The mid-range game, the ability to attack the rim, those things can come in time. But as of right now, he needs to be a shooter and a slasher. Those two things. Get to the rim, shoot the threes. His feet got to be in the paint every time he takes a shot or behind the arc. One of those two spots. Going forward, that's something you would want to see. I would hope and pray that the Knicks have have just watched enough tape and this does not get into a we're just playing the veterans mode as much as that is my fear going forward. Um, But it is going to be up to the players at the end of the day to get this done. The coach can only do so much. He can only yell out so many plays, call so many sets, call so many timeouts. It's up to the guys on the court to play better. That's it. And the coach, yes, he has to put them in a better position to play better. But you, the Knicks have enough talent to not get blown out by these teams, and especially at home. So while I do have a very, very strong feeling that um, Dave Fisdale is, is being fired. And I'll close on this. This isn't this isn't the way that an organization is going to get better. It's not. It's not by tanking. It's not by playing the lottery. It's not by hoping that some free agent is going to come save you. It is about putting in the work day after day and doing the ugly stuff. The ugly stuff is watching your young players screw up on a pick and roll. It's watching your young players turn the ball over at critical times. It is dealing with an 0 for 8 from the field nights. But you know what those turn into? Those turn into foundational pieces. Those turn into playoff appearances. Those turn into trade assets. And that's how you get better. It doesn't do with the coach. It doesn't deal with the front office. Okay. That's it for you guys. Um, thank you guys again for listening to this short pod. Um, I will try to do another one again of these this week. Most, more than likely, I'll probably try to put one up after the KP return game on Thursday. But thank you guys. I hope you guys have a good night. Rest of the day, whenever you're listening to this, it's Daily Knicks Podcast. It's just... Daily.